everyone welcome to this very special episode of TCLF one on one today we cover a topic which is widely popular with law students as well as young professionals that is fundamentals of legal research and writing and uh, i'm very happy uh, and very uh, proud at the same time to introduce to you all our guest for today mr sharad verma uh, sharad verma is a practicing lawyer with crane company canada having graduated from amity law school delhi in 2016 He went on to pursue his masters in criminal law from the University of Toronto. Uh, he has extensive legal writing and editorial experience. He, he has also served as the editor in chief of the Indian Constitutional Law Review. Uh, personally speaking, he has always been a mentor, and I've only learned from him. Uh, thank you so much, Shahid sir, for joining us today. You're you're most welcome. I'm so glad to see you after four years. Um, I'm really glad to be a part of the contemporary law review as well. It's it's given me a lot of opportunities to see other people, and I'm, I'm you you guys are doing really great work. I'm talking to all the members of the team. Thank you, thank you for thinking that I'm capable of this. And yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to be here. Just to set the tone for uh, the uh, session today, uh, so the very first question that. Uh, arises or whenever law student embarks on this journey of you know writing a research paper or a blog uh, is how to frame a claim how to go about setting up a topic or you know selecting the topic so how should one go about that right well it it's it's more about i think staying informed a lot of the research that i did actually came out of activities that you've seen me you uh we met during debates and stuff like that and i i really have always enjoyed debates i know the session is about research but like that's where i got most of my ideas from that's where i got my interest in policy from it's 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 like for a single day event you go you read the news you do things like that and sometimes what is happening you actually support for instance uh, i remember when demonetization happened it seemed like such a neat idea to me and i was already in canada by then it happened november 2016 i came here in september august september 2016 it seemed like a very neat idea at that time but then suddenly like you see how it worked itself out and you see all of the the other things that are happening and so you form an opinion about things you form an opinion about everything that ha- thing that is happening and so i wrote a short piece at the time supporting demonetization i apologize and then i i <laughs> i wrote a, a larger piece criticizing it as well and i think it's fair because i i don't write from any political perspective for me something is not proper because one person is doing it and i think that's that's what objective research is um and yeah i mean that's how i come up with my opinions about something uh when i came to canada i, I took a, a course in legal research and um legal theory and one of the things like i remember a lot of students uh, are doing students you're you're reading all of that and you're reading the first definition is what is law you read laws this laws that laws the command of the sovereign you read some and you read everything i read a very interesting definition which was oliver wendell holmes he wrote an essay in which he he said law is predictions law is basically what the lawyer the practitioner the judge the the client even because if i if i'm a client and i have a claim 
it should seem like, yes, this is possible. And that what he did was wrong. And that is why I have a claim. So it's a prediction about how the law should be, even though you don't know the section, you don't know the procedure, all of that. So I think that sort of prediction, that sort of analysis is what is the very birth of an idea that can culminate into a research paper. And uh, just to follow up on that question, yeah. uh, taking cue from your answer, how important is it to keep the topic precise? Like many a times what happens is the topic is misleading in some form because the content actually does not support that proposition that was placed in the topic. So how important is it to, to state the proposition in very precise terms? Oh yes, uh, uh, that's that's something I have faced as an editor. And when I was actually beginning to write, I wrote my first paper in the third year, quite late, <laughs> and it was peer pressure. But I found it nice after that. <laughs> so um, I think at that time I was guilty of just getting everything and putting it in place and thinking, you know, uh, it'll carry things through, and I might just get a publication out of it. But I think precision is look at the kind of content we have today um facebook it's 20 seconds videos we have tiktok which is not banned i'm glad <laughs> but uh, i mean it's short and so you need to be really precise for a person to be interested in you and please understand that legal research is is it's it's an art and not everyone will be reading it it's not a newspaper it's a law journal or a blog right. Right? So these will be informed people who will have very less patience, very little patience for uh, anything that is going off topic. So uh, I would say, yes, keeping it precise actually helps you. And for that, I think the first step to do is to form an abstract. I personally always write a short abstract. I try for it to stick to one page. And in that, like I, I go about it sequentially so that the reader would know whether I'm interested in this 30 page research paper or not. Uh, you're not doing them a favor, you're doing yourself a favor because it's only then when a person is attracted to your idea will they read it and they'll refer to you later on. There were young people whose research papers were, were read and referred to in uh, KS Puttaswamy. And that's that's a matter of pride if you ever get cited by Supreme Court judges or or some authority, right? So for that, you're doing them. Uh, sorry, you're doing yourself a favor if you keep it precise. It's extremely important. Right. Uh, coming on to the second part, that is the structure, how like structuring articles and structuring your blog pieces. Uh, what 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 kind of strategy have you followed to structure your articles, and like what are your tips on that? I do something very, <laughs> it's it's weird, but it's it's a matter of style and you'll all develop it if you attempt to do many research papers. Uh, I try that all the paragraphs that I, I have in a research paper, all of them are thematic in themselves. So like you'll have, let's say 10 paragraphs under one heading, but each paragraph should have its own content relating to that heading. Okay. It should flow really well. Uh, so what I do is in block letters, I write what I'm attempting to express in this paragraph. The next paragraph should actually follow that chain of thought. And it's basic Renan Martin stuff. Um, it, it's not really, the only thing is it's value increases because you're doing something more major now. You're writing a research paper. It's going to be read by experts, peer reviewers. And uh, I mean, you just need to help them out to follow you better. And suddenly that bias sets in in your favor when someone is impressed by your writing. Right. And then they follow it through to the end and your conclusion is read. Right. 
now uh, it's very important that the structure uh, has some form of coherency to it because it's very important that the previous section relates to the you know the present section flows out from the previous section now that's very important uh, also uh, coming on to the and like what rule does it like obviously a reader would want to read a well structured piece because if the structure is haywire then i, I guess probably the reader loses interest uh, in the very second or third section itself right yeah so now coming on to the content part because for the structure it's very important that you have a a structural analysis uh, yeah. in in your in your mind so uh, how did you go about when you started writing research papers for example i have read one of your papers relating to speedy trials in india and the comparative perspective with china uh, canada sorry canada. so yeah so that was uh, you know it followed a pretty coherent structure because i could see the clarity in analysis as well so how did you go about framing that analysis and like what is the very first step in developing an analysis is it understanding the law is it understanding the premise or what with me a lot of my research is comparative and i am fortunate to have had that opportunity here uh, that actually written when I, was in, like, when I was pursuing my master's degree. And so my professor was a Canadian individual. He had no idea about what's going on in India. Certain things like, I still remember a claim that I made. It's, it's actually a fact that there was a case I referred to in which there was a delay. And these people were under trials for 37 years. And he thought it's a typo. So he actually called me to his office and he said, 37 years he wasn't able i was actually bring my writing to an individual who'd know nothing about it i think if i if i discuss something like this with you it won't surprise you as such or any other law student in india the kind of things that happen but here it doesn't happen here the supreme court let uh, i mean comes up with judgment when there is a delay of 18 months and it's considered a violation of an individual's right that fascinated me so that is how the idea like I got the idea, wow, these people do things very differently. But uh, I mean, I was gearing my writing to a clean slate, someone who just does not know, and I still have to make him interested because he can very well say, yeah, that's happening in India, I don't care. Academics are like that sometimes, but then you need to give them all the tools so that they're able to see your point. And I mean, the kind of analysis I was following there was, I am policy oriented and a lot of times I think one of the, the questions later on relates to uh, what sort of methodology should you follow yes. and things like that. My research papers are generally there has to be a suggestion at the end of how we change things. I'd write a case note in which I'll say, huh, there's a problem here. I'll write a case note about it if I don't have a solution for it. If it's an extensive research paper, I won't go on and on in circles that this person agrees with me and that person agrees with me. They'll, they'll have to be toward the end, maybe, because you've given the reader all the tools to understand, yes, there exists a problem, and this is how Canada deals with it, blah, blah, blah. I'll get, come up with a tangible solution. So, yeah, that's sort of how I begin my analysis. There's a very neat technique uh, that I learned here for case analysis as well, which is good enough for legal research. It's called the IRAC rule, and I'm, I'm not trying yeah, to say... Iraq, like the Americans do, it's I-R-A-C, in which I stands for the issue. So you first like define the issue for me, where do you see a problem, why is it a problem, things like that. Then comes the rule coming out of that. So if you think there is the issue, 
tends to have a bearing on a constitutional right. So there exists that rule, which the which you need to show how the issue corresponds with it, how it reacts to that issue. Then you come up with your analysis, and that is where you put in your heart. You put in in if you'll ever see most of the important people whose research papers I've read, the analytical bit is the least cited bit. It's it's I mean they cite very few people in their analysis because you need to show originality. We need to like mature out of this idea that three hundred citations means mm, wow. It, it's not really that. It can be. 50 good citations, good, proper, relevant citations that show me the relevance of your topic. And the analysis can just be, yeah, I think so, because these are my deductions and this is how logical something is happening. So yeah, that's the A and the C is the conclusion in which you actually want to steer. So on the basis of like, there's a hypothetical radar, you've seen the issue, you've seen the rule, you've seen the analysis, and this is the conclusion I draw from it. Uh, you allow the reader to either agree with you, which is great, and disagreement is wonderful. Because if you'll see Hart and all of these writers, they had back and forth, and these are authorities in the field of law, but they had back and forth writings between themselves, disagreeing and agreeing. So that's wonderful to develop discourse, and I think that's the thing that we're all aiming for. Right. So uh, before moving on to my next question, like there's a certain kind of a pretext to the question, and this this actually flows out of the previous question, like how to develop an analysis. So uh, just just sharing a short glimpse, like uh, if if the viewers have seen the interview we had with Mr. Arvind Datta, he said that uh, whenever you should write articles if you want to understand the law, because he said that when you want to understand, say for example, negligence or state responsibility for a particular thing, you will necessarily read everything about it. And I was, you know, wondering after the interview whether we actually do that or not. Whether in today's time we actually read everything about that topic or not. And uh, from that flows out another problem. Like a lot of law students complain that whenever they think about a topic, they they, they get a feeling that it's novel. The analysis would be novel, and they when they research, uh, there come out a dozen papers which have already dealt with the topic. But that shouldn't necessarily be a hurdle because effectively engaging with existing literature is also very important as you pointed out it so is. how should one do that how should one effectively engage with the literature and use it to one's benefit and not see it as a form of a hurdle that it's already been covered i mean it's it's not a patent as such right it's not like okay someone's already done that this you can um you can express an idea in a very different way and it will still be novel because you put your mind to it you're an extremely different individual from the, the person who's already covered that topic that you like right so maybe your deductions will be different and it's actually good to find someone else who's already engaged with that idea you you get your structure from there right you you get the kind of things that they've covered if you get something from another country you get a set of their understanding their political norms and things like that so a comparative perspective I, I don't personally think it's a hurdle. I actually really look for the kind of literature that already exists in this exactly. area. You don't need to like directly write a research paper, you know, combating that idea or that individual. A lot of big academics do it. I, I won't suggest it for students. You won't be taken seriously. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say that it's it's it's. I mean, just the fact that if I asked you to write about something. 
and you ask me to write about the same thing, we might just be correct and we might just come up with the, with the most relevant judgments and things like that, but it'll be very different, right? So the topic can be the same, but I don't see it as a hurdle as such. I, I actually think I've had the most difficult time uh, when I was re reading legal theory, I was coming up with very weird ideas, very extremely <laughs> unformed ideas, which, and it made it very difficult for me to write about them because great novel idea, but you don't really find authority. You don't really find what you want to step on to, to get further to that full form research paper. So I don't think it's a hurdle. It's, it's, you can use it to your advantage if you want to see how things have been dealt with. Right. Uh, coming on to the next question, uh, what sort of research methodology you followed? Like, was it uh, after understanding the concept, you would refer to case laws and then coming on to the existing literature or commentary by different authors and then, you know, summarizing your thoughts? What, what were the steps that you followed while researching on a particular topic to uh, basically come up with that relevant piece of literature? Right. Uh, there are... It really depends on your topic, the kind of methodology you would follow. Because let's say you you came up with the example of my speedy trial paper. Right. Now, my problem in that was lots of under trial individuals, right? So there's a quantity. You want to come up with research about that quantity. That goes into your issue. Why is this even an issue? Because yeah, there are a million people and this is the quantum of under trial sentence that they are having to face. They haven't even been convicted as yet. Things like that. Uh, this may not exactly be relevant in, in a highly theoretical paper where you wish to say, privacy, now it is, but privacy should be recognized as a fundamental right. In such a paper, I, I don't really know how you'll bring in quantitative analysis. Wonderful, intelligent people can, but I personally won't go down that road because I think privacy should just be there. But when you're dealing with under trials and anything with numbers, you want quantitative analysis. So that really depends on the kind of paper. Uh, I personally, I, I don't think I'm equipped to do empirical analysis. I, I don't do data collection at all. I've never had experience and I'm not in a position now to gain experience for now at least. But uh, a lot of people who do it, I find their research extremely valuable if it's, it's, it's up to date, if it's reliable. It really reads into my own references and citations. So yeah, uh, methodology, you can, you can follow something highly theoretical you can follow like for instance louis brandes was the was was the person who actually came up with the idea that privacy should be should be a, a right recognized as a right uh, the us constitution does not express about it our constitution isn't but we inherited a lot of those understandings uh, for the longest time it wasn't recognized so you you sort of need to come up with those ideas it was recognized so long ago what are the new dimensions that technology has added to to this discourse around privacy. Those are things that I think you can do highly theoretically. And that is where you, you want a lot of, um, okay, this person agrees with me and this is the kind of experience that this country has had. Uh, there are certain countries that are highly me mechanized and right. digitized in a way. So there, even the, like the privacy question is engaged in their monetary transactions, which is not much of an issue in India right now at least. So those are things that one can really research on and you know bring in comparative perspectives. Right. 
Uh, so this this question just uh, uh, immediately came onto my mind. I think I should ask it because we're having the session. So uh, like uh, we've seen like uh, a lot of blogs coming up, uh, portals which you know deal with substantive analysis in very precise and concise terms. So 1500 words, 1800 words, and uh, they probably range from uh, an analytical blog piece to a case note. Uh, summarizing and you know presenting some form of a short analysis on it. So, what sort of strategy should one follow? And uh, you know, while writing blog pieces and short case notes, uh, like uh, what is the extent to which one should go? Like because that's very important. We we just uh, uh, find ourselves confused. Like should I include this or should I not? Because uh, it might just exceed the word limit or it might just you know the lead the reader might just do interest because it's going long drop. Right. So, what's the strategy? I just think like you want something piecemeal. The 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 right. purpose of a case note is just that okay, this is a law student, or I mean, academics also write case notes. But I'm I'm addressing your audience largely. Uh, so this is a law student. He knows something more than my neighbor about law because he's studying. He or she is studying law, and so I think you just need to show your engagement with that idea. I do, I don't really think you can go too comparative. You can plant the seeds of a bigger idea here. That okay, uh, this is what happened in the Supreme Court today. This is how this deals with, or these are the re repercussions that. Uh, are consequential to this this sort of discussion at the Supreme Court, which were not considered by the Supreme Court, or something like that. Oh, right. I generally, whenever I read a news piece coming from India, I am I'm puzzled nowadays right. uh, because I just feel okay. They didn't think about this. They didn't think about that. I've written a paper about how we've become extremely outcome centric. We just right. think okay, this lawyer made a big, good, nice sounding argument. Let's just pass this order. And then three days later, Mr. Kapil Sibyl enters the courtroom, makes a nice argument, and then, okay, let's just reverse this order. Right. That happened with so many, like it, it happened with, I don't know, Temple uh, recently. Long ago, it happened with diesel taxis. That happened before me. I was interning at the Supreme Court right. at that time. So like, I, I just think those are opportunities of writing case notes where you just plant the seed. You don't really go on on and on about it because the reader's purpose of reading a case note is what actually happened, not what you think about that. For that, you need a larger piece where you put in, oh, I think about this way about this. This is why I think so. Right. And for blogs as well, because we see a, lo uh, a lot of comparative analysis coming in very short paragraphs and blogs and like for blogs, is it a similar strategy or? Uh, if it's if it's very short, I won't call it analysis. I would just say like a comparative fact is there. We do right. think this way. Uh, Israel does it another way, but it's oh, not right. analytical as such. Like a blog piece yeah. won't really give you that scope. If you're able to do it, wonderful. There's efficiency right. to your writing, and it's it's not a strict no no. Maybe I won't be interested in it, right? right. I just want to know what the Supreme Court did in um, Puttaswami. But maybe right. someone else might just be very interested in how you right. have written about and drawn deductions from another country. So uh, it's not a strict no-no, but like the general convention is, or that's the way I approach case notes is just informative pieces done by a person who ha who knows what is happening and who knows how to engage with those ideas. And there's the value that you're a law student, you engage with these ideas. And so there's a credibility to your analysis. But don't uh, go to a... All right. So we can uh, 
take it in this manner. So, for example, there's a topic concerning X, Y, Z, and I just basically lay out a context and background for that topic. And then in my analysis, uh, I basically, in a very short manner, tell, uh, communicate to the readers what I think the problem with it is in very short terms or what I think is good about it and what examples can we take from other countries and that's it. That should be, I guess, the, yeah. Something uh, like it. I mean, yeah. I keep on mentioning comparative because I do comparative. You don't right. really always have to mention other the, the thing is, I just feel law is not just what it is in India. Uh, I practice exactly. law in Canada, right? And my foundational education is Indian. I see we do this, things the same way. But why is it that the execution of law is very different in India? And right. it's very different in Canada, despite the fact that we have similar constitutions, similar protections and all of that. So right. it's in the way that things work themselves out. And that's what attracts me. But you can bring in a, any novel perspective to it. Right. Uh, so uh, two more questions you mentioned uh, about an abstract, like an abstract, I guess, would help even for block pieces, like before moving on to developing that analysis, it's very important to know what your proposition for the reader is or what your argument is and basically structure that argument that I want to present it this way. Right. So what should one include and what should not one, what should one, you know, leave out from that abstract? Uh, like what is what is the key to having a good abstract for a piece so that you can you know have some clarity about that topic? I think an abstract is like uh, the kind of work that I come across. I, I, I do peer review for a few journals. So I still am engaging with people's writings and stuff. Uh, they write about, they, they add conclusions and they cite judgments and all of that. Right. I don't need that in an abstract, nobody does. An abstract is like an invitation to please read my research. I've done it over a period of 30 months. <laughs> uh, so right. an abstract is just like follow through, like introduce me. This like it's just a shortened version of the IRAT where you begin your first paragraph, maybe oh. what the issue is and all of that. And then read me through how you re reach that conclusion. Uh, if you're referring, like if you're making it interdisciplinary like I did with one of my papers on speedy trial, I brought in institutional analysis too, because we were talking about police reforms in that paper. I brought in that and you just need to let the other person know that, okay, these are the different areas, views, angles that I will be talking about, but you don't really need to say how, you don't really need to say I'm referring to this and that. Abstract is like right. an invitation and we all prefer short, sweet invitations. Right. Uh, so coming on to the last question, I, I think this is a question that requires a, a proper you know, session by uh, someone who you know has particular expertise in this domain. But since you have written a lot, I would want to ask you this, how to uh, make use of the legal databases we have? And even for that matter, how to make use of the uh, of a normal Google search to basically you know research upon a topic, not the technical part, but no, I'm not asking whether how to apply those filters and all that. Oh, not much, I just remembered something. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, the, you know, how to use them for the for, for research prospects. I think you, I think one just needs to understand what is Google. It's very or any database. Uh, I think it's it's simply, and it has an aggregating function, right? Ultimately, it's keywords. And again, it takes me back to what Holmes said like a more than a hundred years ago, predictions. 
what is it that you're looking for and in what sort of words you feel a particular court may have expressed it, may have dealt with this. If you're looking for something in trusts, you need to know, even if you're looking at, from, uh, looking at it from the trustee's perspective, you need to know the value of the word beneficiaries, right? right. Otherwise it'll just lead you to, do I trust you or not? And you broke my trust and stuff like that. So I think just that aggravating function, it's very useful uh, databases, but you need to come up with a precise proposition of the kind of stuff that you're looking for. No, I, I, a lot of times, I think, I spend a lot of time doing my own research and I find two or three days go by when you're not finding something relevant. But in my mind, it's not really looking at the case law. I am thinking okay. of how to keep improving the proposition that I have before me and give it the okay. best keywords. So that really makes it proper for me. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I guess this was. I, an extreme I, I have to yeah. add something if you're allowed. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, but uh, I have been an editor for a while now. I really have started enjoying this. In the beginning, I did not enjoy legal research because I do things alone. And so, like, it was all doing it on my own. I didn't, I didn't go right. to anything and stuff like that. Uh, what I see is my work has been read by other people. I have read other people's work. I, I, and this is just a comment on the editorial culture in India. Right. Uh, because I've still been publishing with Indian journals. I, right. I really need editors to understand one thing and it's a heartfelt appeal. Don't right. be like unkind to people. Don't, because right. just because you can be, just because you have this neat title about being an editor, Right? right, looks great on your CV, doesn't work great in your demeanor if you put someone down. You don't know whether this is a person from the first year or the fifth year. You really right. shouldn't be expecting amazing legal research from anyone. So if you come across a paper that needs a lot more, add value to it rather than saying this was a very bad paper, right? So right. like that would really help you and your journal as well because you'll have good research coming to you. So sometimes my <laughs> I've had very established professors comment on my and this is from India this is not here because I've worked with my thesis supervisor everyone's really kind and their focus is your research not you their point right. is not to prove that you're an idiot no every right. idea in the beginning is unformed and so like try to give people the benefit of doubt and be more kind and please this is not for your uh, contemporary right. law forum. <laughs> I'm just talking in general, maybe an editor is watching this. Please start responding to emails. Please understand the value of copyright. Please understand the value of other people's time. I've had this experience, this horrid experience, where people just don't reply to your emails. And then I'm just constrained to write them a very badly worded, strictly worded email saying, not interested anymore and don't publish my paper and don't come to me a month later saying, oh, sir, we were just about to know. I think we really need to develop this professionalism that we right. we, we respond to people. Uh, that was a fantastic piece of advice for the editors, uh, sir. Uh, <laughs> any lasting piece of advice for the budding writers, people who are, you know, just entering into this field and, you know, who are very eager to write, but are lost any piece of advice with them write simple write something that i want to read and not bang my head against and this is not being difficult you'll read like a lot of times i've come across people who say in political science they say 
you've given me this Sabine book to read, and this is prehistoric language. What should I do? You're not able to engage, even though you know that these are very important people. All of our politics is based on their ideas today, right? So great ideas can sometimes get lost in translation. And until you're a great person, uh, just make it easier for me to want to engage with their ideas. I'm, I try to be as objective as possible. I try not to read who the person is or whatever. I, I try not to guess. Uh, but yes, uh, make it simple. There's one one advice that I have is uh, I use a lot of artful terms in my paper, and I come across a lot of artful terms in other people's writings as well. What happens is when you see a tendency in law or in the judiciary or in politics growing, sometimes people don't talk about it because there is no term to talk about it, right? So authors can really come up with intelligent terms. For instance, I borrowed this term. I don't remember from whom, but I've given them proper attribution in my paper where they said polyvocality, which is basically, you won't immediately understand what the term is, right? In the legal context, at least. But it basically means like saying too many things, too many different things despite coming up with one decision. So how am I to approach a decision when I don't know which direction it's going exactly. in, which is something that the court is guilty of. And uh, that term is very nice. It's very neat. And it was like my use of it was actually referred to by another author, which I thank her for. But what I mean to say is it generated discourse, but if no one understands it, it won't do much, right? So you have, in fact, uh, raised a very important topic. Uh, in fact, I was reading this book uh, called Foundations of Legal Research and Writing. And I guess uh, a, uh, an American Supreme Court judge was talking about how, you know, he approaches uh, judgment writing and everything. So he started with this term that if it reads simple, it took a lot, lot of hard work while writing because to write it simple is is a very important part, and if this I've in fact I've noticed this not only uh, on the part of uh, writers but also on, on the part of editors that they confuse good analysis with good good you know grammar and language. They think that if I'm using good terms, extremely verbose language in my analysis, I'm 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 well informed of what I'm talking about. But that's exactly not the case. I can use you know very very verbose language but the analysis does not make sense verbose is actually verbicide now it's it's, <laughs> it's committing suicide of your idea by using too many words too many complex words i'm guilty of that uh, i blame it on my icsc education <laughs> we were made yeah. to read shakespeare and all of that and sometimes <laughs> i write weird but yes uh, if you edit like let your mind flow in the beginning write anything you want to any way you want to the next time when you're editing the third time the fourth time the 15th time when you just keep reducing it slimming it down and right. it'll read better it'll read a lot better as you said very important observation like simple is actually it took more time to write simple than something right. very complex so yeah uh, extremely important makes your paper more readable and gives it the chance to bloom into something of value something that people would refer to exactly on that note sir thank you so much for the session it was insightful to say the least i think the readers would understand we got a lot of requests uh, you know demanding for this particular session there and i couldn't think of anyone but you having read your paper i couldn't think anyone but you have always learned as i've said before paid debating 
or MUNs or whenever we have met, I've only, you know, learned this habit of getting good at law, understanding the law before actually commenting about it. It's very important to understand what the law actually is. Uh, you know, half-hearted opinions don't actually matter. So, uh, so that's so. Thank you so much, sir. And it's always insightful. Uh, 